Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And it is winter, but we ain't feeling it so much because we rolling and we heating up with more content, more of everything. Because, you know, Detroit is different. Now I have somebody that is a creative. It's always good to have artists in here. We have the political figures in here. We have the activists in here. We have the people that are committed to struggle and the odd job folks. Shout out to D-Dot Driver I interviewed. I want to interview some more <laughs> of you guys too. But now I got an artist in effect. Christy Love, how you feeling? amazing it's warm outside okay. today okay it's lit. <laughs> okay it, it is warm for the winter for season. the winter for mid-february exactly it should be a winter storm but it's all good if it was no, may you'd be like it's freezing i hate it's michigan freezing. I and hate may michigan. is supposed to be at least 75 76 mm, possibly i feel possibly that. yes i feel that you ever tried to do like a cookout early or go to Belle Isle in may and then oh, you'd be absolutely. freezing Absolutely. Remember, remember when COVID was going on and everybody oh, was locked down. So in April, May, when it starts to get like sixty-five, you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we at Belle Isle, but at the water, it's like, it's yeah, little, no, you at Belle Isle, brisk. You at Belle Isle in a in a in a Eskimo clothing, right? <laughs> that you know, was Eskimo. Us. Like couldn't couldn't wait to get this Eskimo going, popping yep. collars. That was us. All right, so um, classic stuff. Uh, we usually start artistry, content. Okay. Uh, you offer different takes and so much into that. And we'll get to that. Oh, but we starting with Detroit. Okay. Your Detroit story. What brought you and your people here? How did you end up in Detroit? Well, I'm from Detroit. Mm-hmm. My family is from Detroit. Um, my well, my dad is from Mississippi, but my Wait, mom was born out, here. Wait, time out, time out. This, this so, is so now you're trying starts. to say I'm not necessarily from here? No, I'm going to say where at in Mississippi? Baseball, Mississippi, which Where's is that? about 40 minutes from Memphis, Tennessee. Hmm. So not too far from Tennessee. Um, but yeah, my dad and uh, my dad was originally, bo- well, he is born in Baseball, Mississippi with all my aunts, uncles, grandma, all of them. You ever been down there? Oh, yeah. Every summer, every holiday um, when I was little, mm-hmm. I would go down there to visit. Not so much anymore that I became adult and I got to work mm-hmm. but when i used to be a kid i used to go down there for, spend like weeks down there for the summer always go down there for christmas thanksgiving easter break go to vacation bible school mm-hmm. <laughs> down there okay. but yeah those are like some of my best memories from my childhood is spending my time in mississippi with them okay cool cool and your mom's people my mom is from detroit um i'm not too close with my mom's side of the family mm-hmm. um the only thing I remember from my mom's side of the family is my granddad, but he passed mm-hmm. away in 2002. That was like mm-hmm. my, the closest thing as far as like my mom's side to the family. Um, but they're all here. It's just so many of us. And if I ran into them in the grocery store, I wouldn't know who they were. Okay, so you grew up <laughs> daddy's girl for real. Yes, for real. I'm like daddy's girl all the way. All of my family is down south. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like with that connection um, and that style, what side of town? Where Where did you grow up? Where do you look at when you say, this was my hood? What would you say? Uh, Schoolcraft all day. <laughs> oh, man, the craft. So I grew up okay. on Rutherford and Schoolcraft hmm. from birth until I was 14. Hmm. Yep, until I was 14. Um, my dad stayed, uh, once my parents got divorced, my dad stayed in Detroit too, but it was like closer to Rutherford. Mm-hmm. So anytime I would claim anything, it would be Schoolcraft. But mm-hmm. I never went to any of the schools in my neighborhood. Okay. That's the only thing. So like first through fifth grade, I went to Cornerstone. On, that was on Linwood, Linwood mm-hmm. campus. I went there from first to fifth grade. Um, then I went to Go Lightly, which is close to Wayne State on San San Antoine. I went there um, for middle school, and then middle school, my mom got a house built in Romulus, and okay. I moved out. I moved out there. All right, so let's talk a little bit about that schoolcraft neighborhood and what you remember and what kind of ties you to <laughs> over there. Because when we think about that neighborhood, that is. That community, Schoolcraft, Rutherford. Because uh, it's like Schoolcraft and Greenfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, closer yeah. to Schoolcraft and Greenfield. Yeah, kids there either went to Cody, Cooley. Yes. Some of them went to Red. She did not want was, me to go to Cooley. <laughs> but on Cooley. The Cooley she was like, Carts. you have to walk there and you are not going to Cooley. 
<laughs> I'm like, that's fair. So, but but that community is uh ha- has its own like unique flair, like unique culture. <laughs> um, is. a lot of families. Like, I mean, I guess families are everywhere. But when I think of some of the the changes, still a lot of young people in that in that space and place. When I interviewed James Tate okay. not too long ago, uh-huh. he even talks about like some of the young people over there. Uh, what was it like just connecting? Uh, do you remember a lot of kids growing up with a lot of kids and so, kind of that neighborhood? This is very weird, but I mean, there were a lot of kids over there. But I would say I feel like I wasn't really connected to them over there because I didn't go to school with them. Hmm. Like all of my you know, friends that I went to school with were at Cornerstone. So all of us were spread out because Cornerstone is a private school. Mm -hmm. So all of us were spread out all over Detroit. But I did have like my mom's friends maybe stay like across the freeway or a couple of blocks, you know, over. So I feel like growing up there, I didn't really get to connect with Mm -hmm. anybody on my block unless they had to be like right next door. Like Mm -hmm. they had a couple of kids next door, but they had so many people moving in and out of that house that I could have a new friend by next summer. You know, for all I know. But some of the key things that I remember just from staying over there, there's a grocery store that's like on Greenfield. I can't remember the name of it, but I remember that you couldn't take your grocery cart like out, you know, take it like to your car or whatever. They had like the little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I hate it. I was like, Ma, you know, I don't like going to this grocery store because it's dark. We going, you know, late at Mm -hmm. night to the grocery store and we got to I got to wait and put the groceries in. I remember that. And then I stayed like a couple of blocks over from Detroit Roller Wheels. And I used Mm -hmm. to always go to Detroit Roller Wheels like for skating with my friends, birthday parties, stuff like that. And then next to Detroit Roller Wheels is a church. Um I think it's called well i always call it allen baptist because mm-hmm. i went to summer camp there um mm-hmm. she used to take me to daycare there and then my i used to also work there as i got like 13 and my mm-hmm. brother used to go to daycare there so those are like some of the key things that i just remember about being in that neighborhood but my mom always wanted to move out and want better for us because she was like it's getting like so bad here just as far as like crime and stuff like that and when I go past there now, like going past like the block and go past the house, I'm like, this house looks completely different from when we stayed in here like years mm-hmm. ago. And obviously it's more vacant homes on that block that we used to stay on now than it was when I was there. It was like family oriented. Like mm-hmm. when I was growing up now, it's just kind of like, OK, we just rent this spot. We're going to tear it up real quick and then we're going to move out. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely different from, you know, when I grew up there. Yeah, definitely. And and when I spoke to a lot of young people and the families, it definitely I'm speaking to like more like the 90s and the mm-hmm. early 2000s era more yeah, so than oriented. now mm-hmm. uh, where I do feel that, you know, that community like my neighborhood and everything is going through other transitions as just the class of Detroiters is mm-hmm. kind of. Um, transition from uh, many homeowners to yeah. a lot of renters now. So yes. with that, uh, due to like how people function and and how they look at things and then people kind of how even they perceive uh pride and ownership you Mm -hmm. know um it's just different that's what i say the biggest thing is it's it's just different because i always remember feeling just like safe there like you know everybody mm -hmm. is happy watering the grass you know it's it's kids running around playing like now when i go past there it just seems so cold Mm -hmm. like struggle survival and it could have been like that when mm-hmm. I was growing up and my, my picture, my lens of everything could have just been like all rainbows and sunshine and stuff like that. It could have been like that. But to me, it seemed like, oh, this is like safe. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we good here. And not to say it's not it. It could be safe there now, but it just seems like cold because it's more like abandoned homes and businesses and things like that compared to when I grew up over there. OK, definitely. So as that carries on, what's the work? Um, what are your mom and dad doing? Because I think we, we shifted from like more so into your journey and everything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, what's their path? How, how are they setting their roots in the city? My parents are in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did they do? It's but called, I'm just saying, when you were what younger, do they do what, now? What, what were they doing when you were coming up? Somewhat the same thing. So my mom works for Wayne State University. Okay. Um, she is a program manager for uh, Schoolcraft's campus. So Schoolcraft uh, College has a Wayne State University uh, mm-hmm. campus as well. So she manages there. Before, I don't, I can't remember what she was doing, but she was working for Wayne State downtown. Okay. Um, just 
doing her best. She really just wants to have a job that will allow her to be able to take care of me because she was a single mom. So obviously when you work at a school, y'all get the same time off as, you know, your kid does as well. My dad has been in pest control since I can't remember. <laughs> so, so let's even go to like Wayne State's campus because mm-hmm. even in my lifetime, I think of, you know, I'm older than you, but it, it's <laughs> Wayne State's transition a whole lot, like how I look at it, what it was. Um, I remember when I was younger, it felt more like a, a school where, you know, if you wanted those extra credits, where it seemed more almost like a commuter school, like when I was younger. It felt like. I even think that somewhat now, mm-hmm. depending on where you come from, mm-hmm. um, or I guess I would say what area you come from, because, you know, obviously Wayne State is, even though they say Midtown, it's basically downtown Mm -hmm. you know and so a lot of the times people are going to wayne state for um nursing or medical Mm -hmm. and i feel like i feel like a little bit of law too but mostly it's like the the medical everybody is going for that so i feel like a lot of people are coming from outside of the city to come Mm -hmm. to wayne state i've always kind of used viewed it at that i didn't go to wayne state i went to eastern Mm -hmm. so but i've always kind of viewed it as like a commuter school i didn't have a lot of friends that like oh yeah i'm going to wayne state mm-hmm. majority of my friends we went to eastern or people went to michigan state okay so yeah and and, and i do want to talk about that because mm-hmm. it's, it's funny that i just interviewed uh brandon jessup and okay. we were talking about eastern and eastern's connection to get so many legacy black detroiters like a lot of black oh, students yeah. connected to eastern when i think of that era like the late 90s up to maybe about like 2015 ish okay. mm-hmm. you know and i'm not saying like it's not black students there now it's it's, it's the def- black students at they eastern definitely there michigan right now but it was <laughs> something within the outreach of connecting that school with detroit students that was different and it went across even like dps uh charter uh you know private like you know and it was interesting so i definitely want you to speak on what's your eastern michigan experience and then the detroit in eastern what was that like that's so crazy that like you brought that up because as you were saying it, i'm just like that's kind of true really I didn't know what college I was going to, honestly. Like, when I was, you know, on the verge of graduating high school, I'm just like, I'm just trying to go to some college and do this. I didn't really have, like, any big plans, like, after high school. And originally, I was supposed to go to Henry Ford Community College because I worked Mm -hmm. at Fairlane. So I'm like, I'm going to just go there and just, you know, figure it out from there. And I got tied up in, like, boy craziness. And my parents like, no, you're going away. So So it's like, you had a boyfriend. So, so it's I, like parents hated on you. So let me they hated on me. <laughs> no, really. So let me tell you. You though. walked in, you walked in like, meet my boyfriend. Oh, we sending you out. This is what happened. <laughs> I was dating this guy that didn't stay too too far from where we're at now. I was dating. Oh this, yeah, it was like, oh, right. he a Dexter guy? Oh, get him out of here. A Dexter and Davison <laughs> situation. Right. I ain't gonna your say dad the street. was Your dad was like, oh. Uh, uh, so we were, uh. we were having fun that summer. The summer I graduated, we was having fun, having a ball. We got into it about something, and my phone pocket dialed my mom. And mm. we and that's the crazy thing is that we never had any arguments. Like me and mm-hmm. him, never. We were eighteen. Like what were we arguing about? I mean, that's true. That's true. But (laughs) our relationship, we never argued about anything. And my phone pocket dialed my mom and she heard Mm -hmm. just like what we were saying and how we were talking to one another. Back and forth cussing like McDonald's, Taco Bell, McDonald's, Taco Bell. (laughs) Who got the gas money? (laughs) And I just remember getting home and she was like, you know, I think that you should go to Eastern. It's in Ypsilanti. I'm like, I don't even know where Ypsilanti. I don't even know how to spell Ypsilanti. Like, I don't even know where this is. I thought I was going Henry Ford for a couple years, and I figured it out from there. And I remember just going up to the campus that summer, and I was like, well, at least I can bring my car. And my dad was like, you're not bringing your car. I said, excuse me? Like, mm. so how am I get home? He was like, we'll come pick you up. That was a that was a mom dad discussion that it, that was a that was a negotiation where you know your mom was like, you gonna be the one to tell her she ain't taking the car. Man. And then the dad was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do I it. was hurt. Like my heart, my soul. They try to separate me from my man. Like we supposed to get married. Like what's going on? So. <laughs> <laughs> 
hilarious. But that's how you feel. At like, I don't even think I was 18 yet. I think I was like 17. I was still 17. Mm. So I was like just boy crazy. Mm. But going there and just being there for the first month, I'm like, dang, half the people that I went to middle school with are here. Mm. So a lot of people said, well, I didn't get into like U of M or Michigan State because, mm. you know, they consider like U of M, Michigan State like the premier you know, university you know the, the top the top qualities mm-hmm. you know on this side of the state right mm-hmm. and not to say people that you know didn't mm-hmm. you know not to say people that didn't get into you know you of him and msu are like beneath or anything because i don't really know how that goes but it was just kind of like people were like well i didn't get into these two so i went for you know i went for eastern that could have been a thing i'm not sure but mm-hmm. i tell people i my whole thing was they they put me here I didn't want to be here. <laughs> like, but it's crazy because so many people that I know that came from Eastern created so many like businesses and organizations and mm-hmm. leadership roles. I'm like, oh, we like the top of the top. Like, And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, I look to like my homegirl, Corinda, Jessup, um, Lid. Like mm-hmm. when I think of the Eastern I believe it was more open to try some things with you. And I'm not saying yeah. that the other universities don't. But right, right, they right. offered, like, it'd be times, because this was back when I'd be rapping more, they'd be mm-hmm. like, hey, man, we got some money. You want to come up here and rap? I'd be like, yeah, cool. And it's like, yeah, T.I. going to be there, too. They'd be like, for real? Yeah, <laughs> here I come. <laughs> on campus. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, man. And, and then if you want to do the wooden nickel, you can do that. Like, it'd be like a, a, a more more influence that I think the student body could have that too and it and I and I think too it can be like a hustle thing like especially if you come from like the city it's like okay I know I want to do something but what am I supposed to do and it just might be at this campus or university that you come up with these ideas from interacting with different organizations different groups you know on campus and things like that like okay well I'm gonna do this and I I birthed this while I was you know on this campus and that was kind of me like I birthed like the Christy Love brand to where I had, you know, was doing like my own YouTube show, you know, back then when I was in college and radio, I birthed the Christy Love brand while I was at Eastern. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily like going to school, like as much as I can, I would rather not be on campus like mm-hmm. at all. But the the knowledge and things that I learned there and the people that I connected with helped me to really just like birth my brand and realize like this is kind of like the path that I wanted to do because I went to school for communications and broadcasting like I wanted to be like Rhonda Walker and Oprah Winfrey and things like that and I'm just like when I got out of college I'm like dang I really don't want to do that I kind of want to really get into the community but me going into broadcasting and journalism helped me find my voice so where I'm not afraid to speak up, I know how to talk, I know how to, you know, send a pitch to somebody, I know how to write an article, I know how to edit or film or shoot, I can do all of these things. I just kind of found my voice there doing it from getting my degree. That's cool. <laughs> all right. So so with that, other than parents hating, so she, sometimes hating can help. I love y'all though. Sometimes love you, hating mom and dad. helps the person, <laughs> you know, got you on a path. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, like... From that, this kind of connects me to you. So, Mm -hmm. like, in in the world of, like, I guess it's like, man, you know, it's like I insta-stalk her a lot of content (laughs) creators. So, like, if I see content creators in and around the city of Detroit, it's like, okay, I'm going to just take note. Mm -hmm. Take note. And I've been taking note of some of the things you've done. Very creative, interactive, adding different things. And you've been doing this for a while. So, like, Mm -hmm. when I think of the arc of what now we label as content creation, before it was like, Oh, you doing some stuff? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know what it was labeled. That's you know, cra- we were doing some things on social media. Now it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, that's just content, content creation. creation. Yeah. <laughs> so, what led you into this path? Because you started out when it was not, not like, around. Really. Like animal videos were still like, you know, <laughs> people would pitch, hey, you know, you're probably better off a cat doing that than you. <laughs> And then somebody will argue, Jeff says, like, maybe even right now a cat doing something may get more views, you know. But what was the, what sparked you into it? Just the brand itself or marketing? Well, just to to start doing content. Um, really just me on my journey of personal development. So. Expound on that. Yeah, it's deep. Um, (laughs) so in my earlier years, I would say. 18 to 21-ish, right? Mm-hmm. I've always been a nice, caring, giving person. But sometimes, and we know this, just the surroundings that you're in, sometimes things can make, things can make you extremely sad. 
and depressed and you don't know how to deal with certain things. And so as I was trying to get my life on track as I was going through school, I'm like, there has to be a way I can turn in turn like broadcasting or journalism, things that I'm doing now into something that I'm studying, like, you know, as far as a hobby. And when I turned like 22, I'm like, okay, I need to get my life together. Cause I went to my guidance counselor, the counselor at school. And she's like, well, you got like two more years to graduate. I thought I was graduating that semester. And I'm like, okay, I need to get some things in order. Started reading personal development books, started watching different like documentaries and things like that. Just studying like yourself, your mindset, the universe, how everything works. And I'm like, I need to really be like applying some of these things to my life. Cause I feel like nothing is working out for me. All right, now I got a Detroit is different you here with this. Okay. What were some of the books that stood out or documentaries or like, what do you remember of that that stood out at, most that you found right. impactful? At that time, which the time would be 2012 to let's say 20, 2016 until I graduated college. At that time, it was uh, somebody had introduced me to the documentary The Secret. Mm-hmm. And they was like, you got to watch this. It's super positive, inspiring, motivating. And I'm like, I could use all of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and this is deep b- before I was into like spirituality, obviously. So I watched The Secret. And I'm like, wow, like they're saying some like positive, inspiring stuff. Like, let me try to do like some of this because my life was like low. And I'm like, anything anything could help me right now it would be great and another question yeah another detroit is different of it. okay um as sometimes just interpreting that like sadness or depression um at any age but especially like if you're younger mm-hmm. like how do you even recognize that okay i think i'm kind of sad here i think i'm kind of depressed um and i'm gonna definitely add the the layer of kari fraser talking race mm-hmm. into this because the ex- the black experience in america it's different. Can be definitely that. But it, it almost like sadness, if you really tap into just even thinking about us being here, mm-hmm. you can tap into some sadness, some depression all the time. Mm-hmm. So like at what like how did you recognize like, okay, I'm in a space that's not me? And I'm not saying the event that led you there, but just more so like, how did you know? Because, I mean, it could be grief. It could be a breakup. It could just be like just a regular funk of like feeling like you're not as fulfilled. It could be. I wasn't fulfilled. And I've always um, just growing up. I feel like I've always like dreamt big for myself, even and even though I'm not an only child, I still kind of feel like I, I grew up as the only child. I'm the only girl. Um, so I had a lot of imagination and space to kind of play with like up here. And I've always seen, well, I always saw bigger for myself. And so even though I was only 20, 21 at the time, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something else. Like if I keep doing what I'm doing now, I'm not going to end up like very far as far as I want to be. And And something has to start to change because it's going to take time you know what I'm saying, for me to get to where I want to be. And, and when you were in that space, were you talking with friends about it? Were you no. talking with family about it? Was it just something that you kept in? It was something I kept. I'm so used to keeping things to myself because, like I said, even though I'm not an only child, but I always, I talk to myself a lot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was just like one of those things. Like, okay, Christy, like you, you see like, you know, you having like this nice house and, you know, back back then we were younger. It's like, OK, yeah, I'm going to be married by the time I'm 30 or 26. Like, you know, I want the husband and the kids and the and the great job. And I just want like a, a amazing life for myself. And I feel like as you get older, the definition of that, it changes, you know, mm-hmm. obviously. But I just knew that what I was doing, I'm like, I just feel like I'm suffering. And I'm like, I feel like life is not supposed, no matter how old you are, I feel like not life is not supposed to be like that. Mm. But there also, you're going to go through things, but there also has to be something mentally you can do so that you're not going through this every single day. And, and, and that it, comes from a decision as well, too. But how do I make the decision if I'm like stuck in survival mode? So that was my thing. I'm just like, I have to start making better decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. But if I feel like this, I'm not really in a position to make the best decisions for myself because I'm in survival mode. When you're in survival mode, you can't make good decisions because Mm -hmm. you're trying to just get from the next, you're trying to get from this thing to this thing to this thing to see what's going to feel, what's going to make me feel better. And you're kind of just filling in like voids 
here. Like you're getting into a relationship because it's going to make you feel better. But mm-hmm. you might be missing like, okay, I might have some like attachment issues here or issues, you know, from my past and with my parents here. Like what is it that I need that's going to make me feel fulfilled? And most of the time it's a part of you that's missing some things that you need to get together. So, so I, I'm I'm going deeper with this just because He's so taking much us deep today. <laughs> I know I, I, I do. We go. We go in there. Sometimes when go. we're there, I have to be here. Yeah. Um, as mental health is becoming more of a topic throughout the Black community, it is a as far as what mm-hmm. people are talking about, mm-hmm. and some of the solutions, my own views, <clears throat> I feel like you know how we interpret it, but. Being that you're opening up about being in that space, mm-hmm. the 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 next question, and you say you kept it to yourself. Um, at that time, did other people notice? Did other people um, look to give any support? How present could they have been? How much of it was you versus like anybody being present? And and another key question, why uh, reason why I'm asking this is there are so many parents right now that feel as though you know their children are like maybe a little disconnected, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm tripping. You know what I'm saying? Parents mm-hmm. like, maybe I'm tripping. Maybe my kid is, you know what I'm saying? And what could a parent do like at that point in time? You know, at the time I was going through my things, I was super disconnected from my parents. Like, hmm. and me and my dad at that point in time, we were like super close. And my dad like, wasn't really even talking to me because of, the things that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, obviously you love, you love, you love your child to death, but I'm not going to keep going through this, you know, with him or her. And my mom at that point in time, me and my mom did not have the best relationship. We like this now. She wants to talk to me for hours. Now I'd be like, mom, I gotta, I got stuff to do. But, um, she had kind of just let me go mm-hmm. as far as, um, me being her daughter. She's like, she's got to figure it out. And even now she was like, I just had to let you figure it out. But then at the same time with how mental health is going now, it's just like, can you really allow your child that much space to be like, I got to figure it out? Because now as we get deeper into social media, there's more things that are triggering now. Back then when I was like that age, social media wasn't like popping to where I would see people being better than me or, you know, just for me to see that that might spin me into depression mode. Somebody getting a new house or a car or a boyfriend or getting engaged or something like that. Those are things that trigger young adults on social media. Back then, that wasn't a thing. My thing was, I just want more. I felt like what I was, even though I was grateful for what I was given in my childhood, um, I still felt like there was more that I was missing. And I think that was just my connection with people. And as far as like my friends and stuff goes, I felt like the things I was going through, my friends felt like I was beneath them. Like Christian, you're doing a terrible job at being a friend. Um, You're doing this, you're messing up with it. And this is my honest take on it. I feel like they were judging me for so much. And, they were judging me so much that I felt like a ter- a bad person. Mm. So I didn't have really anybody to talk to about anything. It's kind of like I've always, I'm always going to stay to myself because I know how to be by myself. So I'm like, I'm going to rock it out with me. And then once I started changing and doing different things, that's when everybody was like, oh, you're doing amazing. Like, can you give me some advice on this and this and that? And it's just like a year ago, y'all was in my room having a conversation with me telling me how I was like, mm messing up like but that could also be tough love somewhat in a sense of holding your friends accountable like you're doing this you're messing up here you're messing up there but sometimes it can come off harsh if that makes sense so I went through 95% of those things alone but I knew that mentally I can handle it sometimes other people not might not be able to handle it it's not like it was post out on Instagram was around but it was first year coming around at that point in time so it wasn't like i'd go to those like therapy pages and be like okay you're gonna be okay call this number or you know don't worry you got this those i didn't see those things you know constantly when you get on social media now most of the things you see are motivational and uplifting so you're like yeah i can do this but back then it's just like i don't have anybody telling me (laughs) that i can do this it's just me in my head like yeah girl like you got this like we're not gonna give up today so I guess back then I didn't really see it as a challenge. I was just used to being alone, like mm-hmm. in my own thoughts, trying to figure it out. Okay. And and from that, you said you took to a lot 
of pieces in self-development. Every uh, personal motivation. development book I could read, I was reading it wow. because it made me feel better. Hmm. And it gave me insight and opened up my mind to like what's possible for me. So like the first video well, documentary that I watched was The Secret, mm-hmm. just talking about positive thoughts, right? But I tell people now life is so much more than positive thoughts because what happens on the days where people are like spewing negativity at you, your positive thoughts not going to save you. What you going to say? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're going to be a No, you're going to be ready to clap back. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the mindset. And that's why I became a mindset coach. I already was a life coach after I graduated college. But you have to have the mindset to be like, I'm not going to clap back because I have this to worry about and I have that and this person is not worth the energy and I have this energy over here. If I sustain myself, why would I let this person bother me? Everybody don't have the mindset to be able to do that. So one of the most, and I still listen, I listen to this book at least four or five times a year. and I listen to it and read it. It's a book called The Power by Rhonda Byrne, who is also the author of The Secret. It talks a lot about feeling, how to deal with people in relationships, how to view, how to have the mindset to view money, your health, how to be grateful, how to not complain. A lot of those things that she says in that book have carried me to have the mindset that I have now. Mm. So even when I be like, "Mm, you ready to cuss this person out? But the mindset that she instills in that book has saved me plenty of times and I'm pretty sure just me like applying some of the things that I've read have really helped me to get to the next level and help me to not suffer while I'm still here on this earth because a lot of us stay like addicted to suffering because we want to go through the same issues or because we don't want to see the solutions we always just want to see the problems it's just like okay well I owe this person five thousand dollars or I owe these people five thousand dollars five thousand dollars it's five thousand dollars that's still like in your head that you don't have all you see is how you don't have it people never try to change the story about how I do have something or I'm happy now a lot of people wait to be happy they're like oh I'll be happy when I quit this job or I'll be happy when you know I get in this relationship and it's like you're waiting forever for your happiness that happiness might not come so how can you develop the state to where I can be happy now while I I not even wait on anything. People have to develop the mindset of this is where I'm at now. I'm happy now because of this. I have joy because of this. I'm not stressed out or worried because of this. And that was my biggest thing learning back then is how to not wait until I'm 40 or 45 or Mm -hmm. 50 or whatever to be happy now that I'm done working. I should be happy and thrilled about my life now because – I could die tomorrow, and I say I've lived a pretty good life. That's deep. Uh, and also, you all see why I got her on here. She like, I'm Yala at a young age. Yeah, I know, right? But, um, <laughs> that's what everybody But that's, it, it, it's powerful <laughs> that you speak to that. Uh, uh, around the time, just because I, I grew up with a lot of those, as you talk about it, gentlemen from Dexter and Davidson, and some of <laughs> those gentlemen from Dexter, Davidson, Linwood, Twelfth Street, and my neighborhood, you know, Ooh. they can they can find their way <laughs> they can find their way in an urban vacation, and the urban vacation finds them reading books. So, um, so the secret I, I remember when I was introduced mm-hmm. to it, what stood out to me about the secret was the law of attraction. Yeah, and like a lot of these laws and, and things like that, even even. The Bible, though, Lord knows, people hate when I speak to this. Speak on it. It's a way to to interpret this, but mm-hmm. not interpret it like it's like just actually like you can't just say million dollars, million dollars, million dollars, million right, dollars, million exactly. dollars, million dollars. And it yeah. will come to you. It's like usually the 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 idea is if you accept million dollars, wife, uh, you know, six pack or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. you're going to naturally start moving in that lane if you sit in the same place mm-hmm. you know what as they what do they always say if you do the same stuff the same way all the time and you're not improving upon it then you're going to end up with the same results mm-hmm. but if you improve upon it that's going to naturally move you in that space where you you're going to like it's some truth to the law of attraction i don't know how absolute i believe right. Right. You know, you can interpret it. The thing that was missing as I got older and started to study a little bit more just about Mm -hmm. the laws, period, and spirituality altogether. Excuse me. The thing that was missing was other laws that kind of 
intertwined with that, like the law of vibration and the law of assumption. Law of vibration is more so of like the feeling of already being that or already having that. And I would say two or three years ago, that was the biggest piece that I started to Hmm. have for myself. So even though, you know, maybe at the time, you know, I wasn't making six figures or seven figures or I didn't have, you know, certain things that I wanted. But what I started doing was telling the story of me having that or showing myself visuals of me having that or just simply just walking in that energy. Like if I want to be, you know, the six figure owner that does this and this and this or, you know, whatever it is that I want to become. How does that person how does that person dress? How, what do they read? What are some of their habits? What do they do on a day to day basis? Who are the people that they interact with? Start changing some of those things. And even, even okay, so for yes, for example, yesterday was Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. You know, some people they be bitter on Valentine's Day because mm-hmm. oh, I don't have love and things like that. Sometimes it's okay to not have anybody or anything. Sometimes you just have to be love. Like people are conditioned. Like when it comes to love, they're like, oh well, if they don't do this for me, then I don't love them. You know, or if they don't, you know, represent that or do that, then I don't love them. And it's like, that's kind of like condition. Like, I thought you was going to love this person, you know, unconditionally because you just love this person, right? So being love, I feel like me being love, you know, Christy love, but um, that helped me to attract like experiences, opportunities and things like that, that I wanted for me. Not me being love, like, you know, romantically or anything, but me just showing love and appreciation to people, opportunities, my friendships, my relationships, things like that. I feel like being who I, stepping into the person energetically of who I want it to be helped me to become this person and attract all these amazing experiences, opportunities, friendships, connections, things like that because I'm simply just showing love and sending love to people all the time. And, and you kind of spoke to this, and it's now I almost have to introduce you to one of my homies, Sterling Toes. It speaks okay. about love mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. but also you spoke to it a little bit within the waiting for the emotion. So, like, for yeah, instance, I'm going to give that. you guys an analogy. <laughs> you know, your birthday's coming up. It's like, I can't wait to turn up for my birthday. I mm-hmm. can't wait to turn up for my birthday. Then you get to the club, and the pipes burst at the club, and now you can't have a party, <laughs> now and now you get mad. <laughs> You were you already embodied an idea of what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop champagne or mm-hmm. I'm gonna dance or what, whatever you do for your party. Mm-hmm. That already was inside you. Like it, it was there. Mm-hmm. You were withholding and waiting as you felt like the the space and place. But you could have mm-hmm. embraced all of that celebration beforehand. You'll now, be obviously, you're not forever. gonna um, <laughs> you know not gonna pop water like a champagne but <laughs> it's more so the mental the emotional the and mo- the mental interpretation of yeah. how you're walking the path in life mm-hmm. and i do feel it, it can be in in both spaces too because mm-hmm. sometimes in that um which this is always one of the toughest things in some of those laws that people say it's mm-hmm. like are you ready you spoke to that too are you ready for that are you ready to embrace something do you feel that you're deserving, worthy of mm-hmm. something because it can be disorienting, like toxic shock. Like if you've been, you know, it, it's been consistent stories of like, you know, that that the 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 person that just spent a whole life in such more stressful, more 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 anxious um, environment their whole life, and then you put them in I don't know the botanical gardens or something, <laughs> and it's like, yo, I can't, I can't even relate to this right because i'm so used to another cultural existence and i don't know if i've accepted this reality yet yes and it's it's a process and that's why that's why i have started like my nonprofit thoughts become things because mm-hmm. life is really the best thing i can say is life is really amazing i always I always say to myself every morning like life is good and generous and there are hard times that we experience through life but there are certain things that we're supposed to go through to get stronger that's just that's just what it is unfortunately even if it's like it feel like the hardest thing in the world right now you know we take losses we take L's but we come back and I always say like I can never lose like to me my personal life experience I feel like I can never lose because even if I see it as a loss I feel like a month or two later I'll be like that really was a win because 
I was able to gain like this knowledge. I got these skills and now I'm over here doing this. Like I, I needed that. So it sometimes losses like literally just set you up to win. And I really want people, especially our people in the community to be able to experience that life is truly amazing and we, we can do some things, but when you come from the environments that we're in, the positions that we're in, we, you know, know that sometimes there's not a lot of resources for us. There's not a lot of funding for us, not a lot of opportunities. And that's what reality shows us all the time, every day in our neighborhoods and our jobs and our communities and our churches, just, you know, different things like that. I want to push back a little bit on that. But wait, wait, let me, let me finish. So, so what I'm saying is from the Mm people, the people that I work with in my nonprofit, like the people Mm -hmm. that I'll coach that I'll coach in the future, perhaps. Right. Sometimes, well, I want those people to be able to see like, okay, I went through these traumatic experiences. I'm living in survival mode. I feel like there's no way out. I feel like I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to settle into this. And that's going to be that. You know, a lot of these people do not travel outside of Detroit or outside of Michigan or even outside of the country. You know, for that matter, a lot of people are like, this is it, you know, for me. I want people, and this is why I became a coach and why I started my nonprofit. I want people to be able to be connected to the resources and things that they need to become better for themselves, whether that be coaching, therapy, job resources, going back to school, whatever, or just simply transforming their minds and their selves spiritually um, and, you know, for their own personal reasons. I want people to really, especially black people, I want them to really be able to experience life. And even though I'm only... 31 I've experienced in my 20s I've experienced some amazing things and a great life and been able to travel to you know a couple of places and I'm just like wow like and some people may not ever make it to these places but it is possible for us to do these things or make these connections start these businesses or make this big movement whatever it is that you want to do out of life right but some people cannot see their own potential because of fight or flight mode because of survival mode and it's like i want to get out yeah i want to do better but i just don't see how that's possible that's where it kind of like where our nonprofit and our coaching like comes into play because people obviously you want to do better but it's just like well how am i supposed to do that and I was just saying, like, the pushback is kind of in that same zone, like, where we're agreeing mm-hmm. from the perspective of I'm just looking at it more in the macro because I'm always thinking in systems right. uh, from marketing and messaging interpretations. Like, you know, um, you're going to be presented the model. Of, we're, we're conditioned with a lot of thoughts mm-hmm. of this is what success is. This is what you should want. This is where you should be. Mm-hmm. So in this form of conditioning, obviously – it's usually not going to um, it's not going to present like if 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 I'm an institution, if I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, let's just say, OK, I sell water. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to present to you lemonade. Right. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to say water is the best thing for you and it's the only thing for you. And mm-hmm. I'm exclusively the only person that offers water. Mm-hmm. And then now you're going to feel like, wow, I can't do anything because I right. can't get no water. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it's like, okay, it's other things out here. Hence, I, I usually say the assets of social capital and creativity, I think, are the strongest assets without throughout the black community that we have. Right. We connect well with people. And usually that connection is through our creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and these are not necessarily the assets of other cultures. Mm-hmm. So they're usually not highlighted. The assets of other cultures are highlighted as assets because that's what they have abundantly. If, right, I, if, yep. if I had an abundance of, of financing and banking, then you're going to definitely think your creativity needs to connect to my money for your creativity to be exposed. Mm-hmm. But if you just was like, yo, forget this finance person. I'm going to just take my creativity and connect to people directly. Mm-hmm then naturally now I'm going to have to pursue you and it's going to be more of a arm's length transaction in that. Now uh, that fight or flight in my neighborhood is a classic example. My block alone. Um, last year I watched one of the most tough things and this happened before where mm-hmm. um, social services took uh, one of my neighbor's children away from them. That's yeah. a very tough thing to watch because yeah. usually it's, you know, police are showing up and, it's going to be an argument. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. And it wasn't all the, all of her children, but just one of the children. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know how and what and where that may be. With that, that strength that it comes to 
be like, okay, you still have the other children. You must stay present. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just a neighbor across the street that right, sometimes yeah. gives her some collard greens from my y- yard every <laughs> now and again. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, damn, what at this moment do you say to somebody? Like, what do you say? To kind of be like, I know, I know. And then you look at the social worker and it's like, you're doing your job. I, I know the cop. I, I know. Mm-hmm. I know this whole circumstance. Know mm-hmm. the family. Know the, you know, it's those tough things that create that fight or flight. And then mm-hmm. it creates like a, a this neighborhood, yep. you know, for the for the child seeing something like that and sticking to you, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 take a person on that journey where now they can like reshape and use another term you use that I love imagination mm-hmm. to tap into like the values of what was there beyond that pain that can just stand so tall. It's it's a it's a powerful push because. And this this could be 50-50, right? As black people, and um, I can't even say as black women, because I think it's just overall black people. As black people, we're always just taught to be strong. Like, be strong. It's going to be okay. Sometimes I don't want to hear that. Like, at at that point in time. So just like, you know, so you, you watch the mother, you know, you watch the kid get taken away from her. You know, we'd be like, oh, okay, you know, just be strong. It's going to be okay. I'm not trying to hear that. One of my kids just got you know, took away at that point as a person. And this is not just even as black people at that, at that point, it's really more so of what do I do next? What are my solutions? That's the only thing. This is just me personally. I can't speak for everybody, but my only thing is what are my solutions? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to change within my environment? Or because you don't, you never know what the situation is of how it happened, right? And some things are out of our control. But what is it that I need to do? What do I need to change? Who do I need to talk to? Now I'm coming in powerful, full force. Not a lot of the time our people have that strength, right? Or that energy to do so. Some people do. But sometimes it's like, I'm tired of being strong. I've been strong my whole life. As a black person, I have to be strong every day walking down the street just trying to go to work. Mm-hmm. I have a, you know, we have this saying to where, you know, just being black, is, I have a target on my back every day, mm-hmm. no matter what shade of black. And, you know, people, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously I'm light-skinned, but people would be like, oh, you know, well, you light-skinned, I'm still black. Like I'm, I'm very much under. That's hilarious. hilarious. You be like, yo, man, these cops is tripping. You light skinned. That's I'm, hilarious. I'm, listen, I'm very much a hundred percent black. Because to, to the other skin cops, I'm, I'm a black girl. Like, you don't care about George Floyd, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what you mean? That's my cousin. <laughs> you know, but. Um, I think it always just depends on the person. Because some people are just tired of being strong, and I cannot. You, you. I can't even say I, I can't blame them. Mm-hmm. I can't. Bl- there are a lot of things. I can see both sides. Right. Yeah. There are a lot of things that we have been conditioned to accept. A lot of things that we have to struggle to get. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to. You know, I got to make sure I have transportation. OK, I have these kids. I got to make sure, you know, we have housing. But I also have to make sure I can afford the housing. But the job I'm working at is only paying $14 an hour and I have three children. That's not enough for me to pay $900, you know, in rent. I also have to have groceries. I mean, luckily, you know, some people get, you know, assistance, you know, and things like that. And and some people don't. But it's like I also have to just live in this world where I'm always figuring out things and I have to be strong. Where are, and this is kind of where I put my nonprofit into, like, the void or the gap, I would say, where are the resources to help people not only deal with the solutions that they're going through, you know, plug them into some people that can help them with their situation, but what, where are the mental health resources or coaching resources to make sure that they're on track with these things as well? Because some people are like, okay, well, I called so-and-so last week to talk to them about my case, and they never called me back. Mm-hmm. Did you call again the next day? And the next day, did you go up there? Did you get the person's contact information? Do you know who you need to escalate it to? There are certain things, and it's not even unfortunately, it's just like certain things that we have to keep pounding on the door for. Yeah, we have to keep trying. That's why I always tell, tell people, like, we are strong people. And unfortunately, but fortunately, we have to be built like that. Hmm. But that's what makes us so powerful. Like, we're building, you know, even with people building organizations, businesses, you're building a movement that stands for something, no matter what um, 
you know, lane you're in as far as a business or organization, you're building something from the ground up. It has your name on it. You have to be the leader in this thing. Just like when my organization, I have to be the leader in this to fight for people being able to get coaching and mental health services to help them with the things that they're doing. Yeah, people, you know, are in homeless shelters and they give them, you know, little guidance and hearing like that. But what happens when they get out and they get into a house, but they don't know how to manage their bills or they don't know that they can go out there and get a better job or they don't know about training opportunities. They don't know that they can go back to school or they don't know just how to deal with just being out here in the world or going after like something better. They're just kind of like, OK, well, I got a house. Cool. So so I'm, I'm going to because as we get closer to a close, I'm going to put mm-hmm. both these together Let's because I think together. they they <laughs> I think they kind of match. And then I got my class and my classic. Indian <clears throat> trade is different questions unless you say something where it's like I gotta go in <laughs> um so so I want you to talk a little bit about your business I okay. love the way that you frame it as mindset mm-hmm. um and and how do people connect with it how do people um you know if, if they're looking for the resources and then also here go to other classes thing with our community <laughs> it don't mean you're crazy don't mean you're jumping off right. the building yeah. don't mean anything it's just you're shaping up you're, you're shaping up sometimes the soundboard is I talk all the time because I tell people I think through talking. So if you catch me on the yeah. right day, <laughs> I may talk to you for four hours because I'm thinking as I'm speaking. Yeah. Um. So that alone, and we all need different times people to talk to, mm-hmm. as Christy has alluded to that uh, a couple of times here. And then also within that same person thing, why do you think it's often, and I've, I've been in this zone often, like why do you think it's often that we think a solution is like with a new person? And when I say a new person, it could be relationship. It could be hiring a new person. It could be, you know, talking to the family member. You usually don't talk like mm-hmm. a, a, a new friend or something. Why do you feel like you need something else or something new? Somebody new to step in that like will almost resolve and clean up, you know. Um, sometimes everything. you're not dealing with the issue itself. And I, the best example I can give right now off the top of my head is like the relationship issue. Right. So you know, a woman or a male, you know, could be going through something with somebody like that is just not really making me happy. I haven't been happy in two months, three months, and this is just not working out. So I just need to find something else really quick. Then you find something else. And, you know, in relationships, we got this honeymoon phase, honeymoon phase, three to four months. Everything is perfect. Then you start to get to know the person. They start snoring louder. They eat funny. They smell weird, you know, like a whole bunch of different things and really People, and this is just not black people, this is people, period. People feel voids. If they don't have, like, they're not strong enough in this area, I'm going to fill the void and put something mm-hmm. here because mm-hmm. I don't need to deal with it. The void just needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Sometimes, and sometimes people need to connect with whoever they worship or give honor to as far as, like, spirituality-wise. Sometimes you need to put, like, God in that place and not you know like oh I how feel do, lonely. How do you even recognize you got a void? Like, some people no don't and see that that's that's <laughs> the thing. Some some people don't. I realize I can only speak for me. I realized that I had a void because I'm like I got too many boyfriends. Why do I have a boyfriend every couple of months? Like mm-hmm. what and then like when you you know, you have a person, right? And then it's like, okay, we cool, we happy, and then we not happy. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. Then I'm back over here, like, okay, I'm cool, I'm happy, and then I'm not happy anymore. There's a, what's it called? There's a pattern that happens, and I think that people can kind of find the voice. Like, when you're doing a pattern all the time that's not really working, it's just like, okay, I might be just kind of, like, filling a void here. Mm. There's something deeper that I'm missing, um, and most of the time you have to take – you need to take a step back and spend time with yourself a couple couple of months, maybe even a year, a couple of years to yourself to see what is it that I need? Like, why am I like this? Why don't I like this? What is this pattern? Why do I stay connected to the pattern? Because most of the time, you not, you're not going to find out as soon as you write it out in your journal. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know until you could be walking in a grocery store like, oh, wow, that's why. Mm-hmm. I had to like, a moment like two weeks ago when I was just like driving to the store and I'm like, oh, wow, that's why I talk to myself a lot. So I talk mm-hmm. things out and I was in the car talking to myself. Don't judge me. 
But um, I'm just oh, like, no, no, no. I mean, I'm just like, oh yeah. I was like, that makes sense. I'm like, that's why like that really didn't work out or that relationship doesn't work because of this and this and this. Like, okay, that makes sense. A lot of a lot of times people don't like to spend times with themselves. Like that being lonely, that they gotta have something or somebody or people have to work all the time. Sometimes people work to fill voids. Mm-hmm. If I continuously work yeah. and do yeah. things and I'm always reaching goals and doing this then I don't have to think about my relationship from two years ago or a year ago, a couple of months ago, because I'm always working. Mm-hmm. But, no, you may need to kind of deal with that. It's mm-hmm. okay to get to your low point. Like, relationships hurt. When you break up with people or whatever, they hurt. When you lose certain things, you lost your car, you lost your house, a job or whatever, that hurts. You're a human. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to take the space to deal with that. Otherwise, sometimes we react to certain situations or things may trigger us in certain you know points and we kind of snap we're human it's going to happen but when things like that happen you got to be able to take the space to deal with that on your own and not dump those feelings off into somebody else i would never want to get out of a relationship and get back and get in it with somebody else three months later because i haven't even dealt with me being in a relationship with this person for two years I don't know what, you know, I don't know what just happened. Like, I still need time time to process those things. And I feel like as humans, we don't give ourselves enough time and grace, too, to be able to deal with those things. It's okay if you're not ready. It's perfectly fine. Now you got to get a pitch to people. How do people get in contact with you? How do they get your services? How do they how do they connect to reset their mind? Right. Like, I ain't going to never get over Johnny. I'm just messing with Man. you. Man. <laughs> hey, when I was 20, I'm like, I ain't going to never get over it. <laughs> so over it. Um, <laughs> um, so people can get in contact with me. Well, first, follow me on Instagram. So Christy Love. It's Christy with a K. I always tell people. It's Christy Love with two underscores. Um, you can also follow my nonprofit page, which is Thoughts Become Things in P. So nonprofit um you can uh just follow our website get connected to our website send us a message if you need help with therapy services um mindset services we got (laughs) y'all all All right now our classic detroit is different questions oh lord here we go i don't know (laughs) very first car year make and model and what year did you get it uh for explore i want to say it was like a 2004 no Maybe like a 2004. It was my dad's truck. Okay. He gave it to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, it wasn't passed down. I was kind of like, well, I guess you're driving it so you can have it now. How old were you? When did you get it? Um, 17. Oh, man, that ruined every guy that was probably about to talk to you because you pulled up in a truck. And I like, pulled up in a truck. Yes, I had a Ford ah, Explorer. <laughs> the next car that I had the next year was like more of a girly car. I had like a Pontiac Sunfire or something. Nah, like dudes was like, hey, what up, though? Right. <laughs> I'm like, what up? Y'all need a ride. <laughs> like you, you sit in the Explorer, you pull it up, and then the dude like, oh! <laughs> oh, it's a girl. It's like I can pick you up. Like oh, so, yeah. Well, women looking at you for the car, at the stops, but I'm just saying, like a guy would be like sitting in the passenger side. It, it's like stuff like this, and I know women are probably looking, but this <laughs> stuff, especially like younger man stuff, it bother you. Like, yeah. You being a, and you consider like your girl driving, and it's a man's car. It's like, John, let me drive. Like, no, I ain't driving my car. And then you just sitting in. You sit in the Escalade. <laughs> right. Sit in a black the Escalade. Passenger, the passenger side. Like, oh, oh, this Mm-mm. feels emasculated. <laughs> I get it. That conditioning. <laughs> all of that stuff is goofy. Ride in whatever car. If she want to give you a ride, take it, man. <laughs> Just give me right. some gas. Where was, uh, where was the first place you went when you got it? Uh, you know what? I remember. And I I went soon after I got my driver's license. My dad let me drive to Kmart. Okay. Hey, <laughs> so that's a, that's a that's, remember the Kmart that was on Eight Mile, like mm-hmm. eight, what? No, Telegraph and Eight Mile. I think yeah, now it's like a, a big U-Haul. It sure is a storage yep. facility. I went, I went to Kmart. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just, I just need to get out. I'm telling you, that's <laughs> parents. If you trust your children with the vehicle and they get a license, they, they go, drive everywhere. They're going to Target. Now yeah. they're going to Target. They go everywhere. <laughs> they'll, they'll be like, oh, you, Grandma need to get some medicines. I Man. know. I go, yeah, they're they just trying to drive. Yep, that was me. <laughs> About 10 years later, they ain't trying to drive nowhere. No, I am not. I'm ready it's to like, go. we driving to Georgia. You drive. You no, drive. <laughs> we taking your car? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you are the DJ. It's the end of the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. Oh, Lord, not nah, I'm the DJ. Oh, I got one. It's okay. the end of the fireworks. You get to play three songs. What songs you playing? 
Okay, back then when I was that age doing the fire, going to the fireworks, Swag Surf. Okay. Number one hit. Okay. Um, I would say you're gonna have a whole. Uh, you're gonna have like every everybody black like. Uh, thirty five and it's between thirty five <laughs> and about twenty five. They just gonna be like, "Yeah, we in there." Old black people and white people are gonna be like, "What in the hell are they doing?" <laughs> yep, because I was I want to say that was two. Yeah, that's when I graduated high school. So yeah, that was two thousand nine. Definitely Gucci Man. I think I love her. That used okay. to be my song. I was I was Susie all day. Uh, <laughs> this is like a whole like 2009 playlist yeah, this is a right 2009. now. 2009. This, this is when I went to the fireworks. Okay. So this is that time. I'm trying to. Think, I can't think of another one. What was a hit back then? Probably something Lil Wayne or Drake. No, I wouldn't say Drake. He was kind of like. I would probably say like what was my song? Lil Wayne, Steady Mobbing. Okay. Back then, that was my song. I knew all the words. Okay. I'll... 18, 18, 17, 18 years old, just spitting words in the Ford Explorer. <laughs> yeah, I would never. Yeah, it's like this, the, the past ten years have been an interesting journey for Man. the good brother, young little young Tunchi. Because <laughs> right, if you'd have told me Little Wayne would look like and be doing what he's doing now, couldn't see it back then. I'd have never couldn't see it. Never would have thought it. I don't know what's going on now. We, God the, bless it. The good old narcotic. You gotta, you gotta, God bless it. Gotta, <laughs> gotta stay away. <laughs> Get your mindset right. right. You don't gotta go to substances. Get your mindset right. Avoid the substance. Avoid the substances. All right. And you can rename Woodward after one Detroiter. Who would it be and why? Oh my goodness. Woodward after one Detroiter? I love Big Sean. Mm-hmm. I really love Big Sean. And I say, I'll tell you why. Um, his last album, Detroit 2, was very inspiring for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it pushed me through really to really push my nonprofit out as well. Just a lot of the things mm-hmm. that he were saying that he was saying in that album. Um and I used to run to it a lot because I used I used to run. I'm getting back to running this year for sure. But mm-hmm. I used to run to it a lot and listen to a lot of the things that he said. And I really like pay homage to him for pushing like just some of those words out and obviously the artists too that were on the album. And I actually told him that when I met him a couple of months ago. I was mm. like super nervous to meet him, but mm. that was a pretty dope album and it was it really inspired me in 2020. So, I would dedicate it to, or rename it after him. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. Make sure you check for it. It will be coming live and we and and I, I like the energy. I like Christy's energy. So, we're going to figure out some way to bring her in the fold with Something Detroit is different related. Yeah. It's all types of put Detroit me, is different Put me stuff. in some type of discussion. Some type of mix. <laughs> you know, because she has some other points where it's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.